0: senior so many so many senior moments I can't believe it um, so having rushed home to find I bought my computer back because I just thought well I can't find it I'll use my computer version came back went to the toilet and guess where my sermon was sitting on the system of the toilet so I bought, came in here and then I couldn't c- find my glasses and there's no chance of me reading it without my glasses but I can read it on my computer because I've expanded it. As I said, I'm a senior. Um, In 2017, I I had to have some implants. um, And I asked my dental surgeon, just as he was kind of finishing up his inspection of my four newly inserted shiny porcelain crowns, when will I get used to the weird feel in my mouth? God knows, he responded. To which I shot back, yes, I know he does and I'm glad for that at least. Crickets. So I filled the void and God has given you amazing skills. Thank you so much for everything which I think only seem to make the awkward silence worse. We do live in a culture where God is merely a supposed hypothetical, at best, like for my dentist, brilliant as he is. And this makes a praying life extremely difficult for us. This is our topic this month. Teach us to pray. And it's not just that our culture is cynical about metaphysical claims, like the existence of God uh, for, for a whole host of reasons, although historically and rationally less warranted uh, than most would expect. Nevertheless, it's, it's even harder for us who do reckon with God than that. It's cynicism even about the character of God, uh, should he truly exist, that we also need to deal with. Why would God be interested in the weird new sensation of having titanium in my jaw and porcelain in my mouth. That kind of personally concerned and involved God who cares and is interested in individuals. No. No, no, God is, maybe God is a moral necessity for general human rights, God is a principle that guarantees logic and rationality or God is the ground of our contingent being. So without discounting any of those important intellectual questions, in this second of our talks on the praying life across January, today we'll we'll be asked to reckon with, within ourselves, do we have this cynicism about God? that he would be of such character as to concern himself with our personal needs, our individual concerns, whether that be our fitness habits, the fighting neighbors next door, the common good contributions of the company that I work for, or the culture of greed and and hypersexualization that we live in. See, the extent to which we diminish God to kind of certain boxes, of interest or particular ways of working or spiritual end goals only then of course our praying life will likewise be restricted so just giving you a heads up are we willing to question our cynicism about god's character or his way of working tonight Pray, Lord God, where we've unknowingly or even knowingly fallen for inadequate views of you, small versions, please search us. You know our hearts, open up to us true ways of seeing you new visions of who you really are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Psalm 23 is going to be our base uh, for this second Praying Life Sermon and I'm going to start with some brief observations uh, of the text before diving into reflections and heartwork. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous of Psalms in our time used very frequently at funerals but it's not always been so as far as i can work out Uh, the devil's favorite psalm seems to be psalm 91 Jesus loves psalm 110 and psalm 22 the apostles favorite to preach from uh, were psalm 2 and 16 and the early church was very enamored with psalm 8. But Psalm 23 probably has a case for being top of the pops. Uh, certainly, it's very helpful tonight for addressing how cynicism hinders a praying life. So instead of uh, our sort of hazy or maybe even lazy familiarity, I, I thought it would be good just to slow down and initially to notice or renotice some of the features of Psalm 23. It's only six verses, so here's some brief. Observations before we move on to the heart work of reflecting. So, firstly, uh, it's ascribed to David. It's an of David psalm, the king of, of God's ancient people Israel. And this is very common in the Psalms, about 70 uh, of them. Now, kings were often described to be shepherds uh, of the nation of Israel's times, and David was also a shepherd boy before he was king. But here, uh, the, the shepherd King David describes God as his shepherd and what is not common uh, is that the majority of psalms even even David's psalms are laments or hymns complaints or praises but Psalm 23 is neither it's a poem of simple trust in God no requests or petitions, not even for others to kind of join in the praise of the Lord. Just some simple, evocative declarations of who God is and how God is relating. And that relating, uh, that description, those declarations are done through two sustained metaphors for God. God as hardy shepherd of sheep, in verses 1 to 4, as I've already said, but then from verse 5 and 6, God is described or depicted as a most diligent host of a guest. So, altogether, we could say that God provides. He he gives sustenance. He gives nourishment. He gives rest for needy sheep. He also protects. Uh, He guides along right paths and he guards through dangerous valleys, He protects vulnerable sheep in danger. So God is provider and God is protector. Thirdly, it's a stretch, but just because we're in the genre of poetry today, I had to alliterate. So thirdly, God is patron. He he champions the cause of his guest, uh, preparing a feast in the presence of their enemies, bestowing uh, on the guest special honours, anointing their head, them uh, with ever more fine wine, their cup overflows. As patron God is attentive, uh, his attentive presence gives order to the chaos of his guests. Their messy lies are full of enemies and so he even attends to their harrowed hair and their smelly bodies. God is provider, protector and patron. And let me suggest that Both the metaphors of shepherd and host communicate those many things. As I said, these observations are brief, so one last one for now. Notice that Psalm 23 is written in the present action. Uh, It's live action. It's in the present tense so that in every moment of reading it, it's like God is making me lie down in green grass. God... God's rod is beating off wild beasts. God's staff is thwacking me along the right path. God is anointing my head with oil. God is refilling my cup with yet more fine wine. All of these things mounting up until verse 6, where suddenly there is a future tense. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This live action, you see, it's not a dream, it's not an aberration, it's real and enduring, and it's going to continue forever. God is not a stand-in shepherd or a temporary host, but he permanently provides, protects, and patronizes. So much for the brief Observations of Psalm 23. Let's do some more lateral thinking now and reflect on how developing a life amidst a culture of cynicism can uh, be helped from Psalm 23. I've had two issues concerning me from Psalm 23 about prayer rattling around in my brain. One, engage all of the troubles. And two, fight the corrosions of trust. Firstly, by engage all of the troubles, I mean to actually pray. Pray all of the types of prayers that helpless, dependent and messy people need to bring to God. Now, obviously, those three phrases are picking up from Dave's first sermon last week. He had three points. We are helpless, needy and messy. And we see the hinted, the helplessness here, don't we? The dependent and the messy of, of God's children in Psalm 23. God a shepherd is provider for needy sheep. They are one of the most dependent and labour intensive animals around to sustain. They're hopeless at hunting for food. They're not hardy uh, in the surrounds or the elements like goats. But they're also pretty helpless or I use the word vulnerable. They, you know, they're They're vulnerable to getting lost because they have little sense of direction for how to get home. They need uh, the guidance of a shepherd. And they're vulnerable to attack. They need guarding from predators. And, you know, life is messy. We have enemies around us and maybe even within. We have fears, both identified and unidentified. We have deep valleys that we can't see our ways out of. We all need an attentive host. And that is true of all that drives us to prayer. And, and yet it's all segue from last week. Uh, if you weren't here and it's online, I it was a brilliant sermon from Dave. Go, go and listen. The addition for this second in our series is the focus of Psalm 23, which is not on the reality of our helpless, dependent, messy state, true it as is, but the focus is on God's sufficiency and commitment to be provider, protector and the patron that we need. And, And if God is all of that truly, then we can trustingly engage all of the troubles in your prayers all of them, not just some. The wonder of the metaphors of hardy shepherd and diligent host is that they are encompassing descriptions and so therefore engage all of the troubles with God in prayer. If the metaphor was, you know, God is a doctor, perhaps we'd only pray about our health concerns. But we wouldn't ask for a prescription about our mortgage payment arrears or our savings for a deposit if God was a lawyer perhaps we'd be justified in not addressing him about the distancing occurring in our best friendship or my bad cognitive behavior of catastrophizing but they are narrow metaphors aren't they Hardy Shepherd and attentive host by contrast are multifaceted and holistic. They are both metaphors in which the role assumes complete responsibility, not partial concern. I started uh, with my awkward conversation with my dentist, but I realised as I was preparing this that while I asked him uh, when I'd get used to the new feel, I haven't once asked God In the following three and a half years to help me adjust to the weirdness of foreign things in my mouth and yet I have slight discomfort experienced almost every day my neural pathways are still not filtering out those sensations but have I prayed about it not engaged all the troubles Uh, so that got me to thinking if the cynicism of our age has infected much of our prayer lives here are a number of other things I just wondered about as I was thinking through this and reflecting things we might tend not to pray about because well God just doesn't deal concentration and alertness during a lecture or important client meeting for a stranger or just anyone to bless in our grocery shopping trip for help containing our compulsive behaviours whether that's too much social media or substances or other adrenaline pumping behaviours For the conversion of a family member who in 20 years has shown no interest in Jesus. So it's just off the table. For a genuine Sabbath weekend without any work interruptions. For wisdom to determine which uh, new habit or practice we should choose in 2021 and which one we should focus on above the others for keeping the romance alive in our marriages, for understanding our parents more, for having a more harmonious household life, for energy to engage in the difficult conversation that I just found myself in at work or with friends, for that weird relative, for deep sleep through the garbage collection night, for... And they're just some of the examples from the mundane humdrum of our lives. But as I thought of this, I I realized I'm actually, I know I'm pretty hopeless and dependent and, and troubled with all of them. I know that. But do I know that God is interested, concerned, that he provides, protects, and is our patron? Beyond them, there, of course, there are all the other areas of life to add uh, beyond personal concerns, neighbourhood, civics, industry, workplace, church, country. Uh, the longer I've been here at St Albans, the more I'm realising that outreach to Five Dock and surrounds is, is difficult. Uh, our, I don't know, our spatial orientation here is quite discombobulating. Our visibility is minimal. Uh, our cultural heritage is different from the majority demographic. demographic. We, all in all, are pretty helpless in building a vibrant and and sustained corporate witness to Jesus in a fairly community-minded suburb. Quick uh, clarification to finish this reflection before we go to the second one. Um, I'm not suggesting that we need to pray about everything. Or necessarily, actually, I'm, I'm not even suggesting that we need to pray about more things than we are. That's kind of beside the point. Uh, we're human after all. I, I know we have, you know, inbuilt limits and we forget this to our detriment. Um, during the, the lockdown last year, I, I, I drove myself crazy um, trying to pray for about 300 different people People and organizations and things a week. I had my lists, I had my system, my times, and it very nearly broke me. Now, Psalm 23 doesn't encourage us to be more diligent sheep or more self sufficient uh, guests, it rather focuses on the God. As our shepherd and host in which case we might actually end up praying less if you have this view of God especially less furtive fearful prayers you know the ones we pretend we're not praying how about that you're in church folks and you just heard the words maybe pray less So what I am saying is that if our view of God is clarified and deepened, we will likely discover that there are things we do want to and could pray about. But if we're honest, until now, we, we just don't think that God can deal or wants us to pray about. God is a shepherd who takes the whole life of the sheep into consideration. He's the host for whom every matter under their roof is their concern. At least, hosts in biblical times, that was the expectation. God is really like that. Really? Really? Maybe the cynicism of our era about God's character has infected us. So, turning now to second reflection from Psalm 23, as it relates to developing a prayer life, is to fight the corrosions of trust. Fight the corrosions of trust. Particularly beware of that corrosive effect of citizen on our prayers. Instead, be cautiously optimistic about change. Uh, We do live in a cynical age, don't we? So cynical. We love to doubt everything. In fact, the, the quicker repertoire and wit you have about casting aspersions, the better. We can poke holes in everything. And to be honest, I think cynicism is valid <laughs> sometimes, maybe even necessary. Uh, I think it's quite appropriate to be cynical about nearly every advertising and marketing campaign in our hyper-consumer society, perhaps it's appropriate to be cynical about some media and occasionally even politics, but here's the problem, cynicism is not a suitable mindset for life and relationships. Cynicism can be a useful infrequent instrument but it is a lousy disposition. Because especially in relationships, cynicism kills trust. And as we noticed in the observations at the start about Psalm 23, this is a poem of trust. It's it's profoundly personal, which is the way it needs to be with relationships of trust. You need to know each other and give yourself to each other. You need to trust each other. God is God is not even referred to, to by the title God in Psalm twenty three. It's, it's as if that's that's far too neutral and distancing to use the title God. Rather, in Psalm twenty three, God is always referred to as either Lord, capital L O I D, which is the translation confession for for Yahweh, God's uh, covenantal name. Uh, it's as close to talking to God while talking about God when you, when you use that word, when you use that name. Or, if it's not Lord, you, God is addressed directly in the second person singular, you, you, yours. And further, there's a direct uh, relating and speaking with God. No roundabouts, no intermediaries. The Lord is my shepherd, not other shepherds. He makes me lie down in green grass. He he leads me for his name's sake. Your rod and your staff, they they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. Uh, I think this individualism and this direct way of relating is partly why Psalm 23 is is so favoured in our culture. It fits the vibe of Western Enlightenment consciousness, which... Is the era of history we're in. Uh, We, we just, we just find it delightful, don't we? And, And beautiful. And so much so that I, I suggest we actually need to be a little bit cautious or careful that the romanticism of our cultural glasses doesn't over sentimentalize the, the trust depicted here. It's, it's not a trust of intimacy or coziness as in the openness between Equals, whether romantic or platonic, that's that's the treasured prize, isn't it? The value of our time. Which, of course, is, well, just makes things horrible for single people. But nevertheless, this this is profound trust. It's it's deep and plain trust built on the, the, the competency and the commitment of the shepherd or host, as well as their familiarity with the particular needs. Of their flock, their hosts, their guests. And the thing about trust in relationships is that it maintains openness about the future. While you have trust, there is a future in the relationship. While trust remains, a future can be worked towards and faced. Yes, the troubles we face are real, There's nothing cynical in saying that. Yes, God doesn't always take the troubles away by prayer. There's going to be a sermon later about that. And there's nothing cynical in saying that either. But even so, cynicism can can easily erode trust. Cynicism can lead us to, to see that the problems are bigger than God, that the fears are more substantial than his power, that suffering renders God's purposes void, that the valley of the shadow of death obscures his loving heart, if not invalidates it. Nothing will kill our ability to trust God and therefore engage with him on all the troubles if we doubt his goodness and power and concern for all of who I am. So let me suggest two strategies for fighting cynicism with God. Uh, Just the corrosion of trust in our prayers to God here they are firstly train yourself to be looking for how God is at work even when the troubles are not moving and seem to be mounting Uh, I'm not a linguist languages were my Achilles heel at college but scholars tell me that verse 6 says surely goodness and mercy pursue me all day long that's that's the better translation the verb is to chase rather than to follow and so we take we can just take that on face value can't we and each night rehearse how god's loving kindness and mercy has hunted us down that day maybe that's maybe that's the new habit to cultivate this year every night just try and list two or three ways that god's loving kindness and mercies have pursued you Perhaps we didn't want to be made to lie down. But we got some green grass. We certainly didn't like the thwacking of the staff over the backside, but we recognised the severe mercy of of getting us back on the right path. See, there's usually two ways, isn't there, of approaching the stuff of life. We do have a choice. We can see the troubles and be cynical about God, not taking away the troubles. Or we can see the troubles and we can be trusting that God is doing something in and with and, 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 and through the troubles because or well, because our security lies not in our circumstances whether they be refreshing waters or fine wine or on the other hand whether they be the darkest valleys. No, 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 our security lies not in the circumstances but in the shepherd our satisfaction lies with the presence of the host, not the presence of the enemies. But what about the genuinely bad stuff? Genuinely bad. I mean, uh, real enemies do exist. Death is real. I, I'm, I'm not saying to call evil good or to thank God for, for evil. No, no, we, we fear no evil not because it's not genuinely bad. Neither do we fear no evil because God always takes it away. No, we, we do not fear evil because, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's love and kindness we, we can find even in the darkest valleys. So be training ourselves to be looking for how God is at work even when the troubles are not moving. And second strategy for fighting corrosion and maintaining trust in our prayers, and this is surprising, this is a little bit counterintuitive, so get ready. Here it is. Wrestle with God. Really wrestle. We said that this poem of of simple trust is is a poem of simple trust in God, and it is. But it's Imagery sort of twisted and the romanticism of our culture might mistakenly turn that simple trust into advice to nestle with God. Nestling is what you do with, I don't know, with with equals that you trust or with your pets. Yes, God is described as a refuge throughout the Psalms. But that is because he is big and powerful and, and utterly good beyond our, our comprehension. So how you maintain, uh, maintain trust with, with someone who's way beyond your status and far more purely good than than you is to wrestle, not to nestle. And you just, I mean, the, the Psalms are the authorised prayers of the Bible. They're, they're, they're God's words to us to use back to him and they are just full of expressions of rage and hatred and confusion and, on the other hand, complete adulation and exaltation and hope. The Psalms evoke practically the whole dimension of human experience and it's all addressed to God. There is very little gap between what is thought and felt and what is said to God in the Psalms. That's amazing trust, isn't it? Cynicism low, trust high. Trust is so high because God is so committed that He has covenanted Himself to His people, and so the prayers of the Psalms take the position that, well, that actually you only have God to deal with, and so have it all out with God. That's how you express trust. You wrestle because he is far bigger than us, far more powerful than us, and far better and good than us. The complaints, the, victiv- the vindictiveness, as well as the, the kind of visceral celebrations of passion for God, this this kind of goes against our, I don't know, is it our Angl- Anglican heritage or something? The stiff upper lip of England? I, I don't know what it is. It's, it just doesn't feel right. Does it? it feels a bit awkward. It's not... It's, it's, can't be right, that's not very religious is it? Somehow we've domesticated and and, and sanitised God and we've forgotten that he's a hardy shepherd the bleating sheep he is well able to deal with bleat away bleat away So, having given two strategies for fighting the corrosion of trust, let me conclude helping us focus back on the shepherd. In John 10, Jesus takes the imagery of shepherd, the Lord, Yahweh. He describes his life, death and resurrection as, as the primary proof of his heartiness, his trustworthiness, his goodness, his, his commitment that we can trust him. I am the good shepherd, the, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he, he goes ahead of them and, he, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A bit later in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Man, he says that five times. I know my own and that my own know me. There's trust, you see. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Poetic imagination of David. Psalm 23 confirmed by historical event and the action of Jesus he offered up his own body in the presence of enemies so that we could eat forever in the house of the Lord in the presence of our enemies that is the extent of the commitment of the good shepherd to us